Good morning. My name is Peter Kroll. I'm one of the elders for our church, uh, in charge of our, our preachers here. I'm really glad you're, you're here. Welcome to our church this morning. And if this is your first time, we're really glad that you're here. Thanks for coming to join us. We've been studying through the Bible's book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible. And this morning, we come to one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible. The Ten Commandments. We're in Exodus chapter 20. If you have one of the church Bibles, it's on page 40. And I want to see, I want to test my hypothesis that this is one of the most famous passages. I would like to ask children under age nine or younger, if you could tell me one of the Ten Commandments. You can shout it out if you can think of one. Can you think of one of God's commandments? Don't steal. Do not misuse the Lord's name. Don't lie. Yeah, good. Okay, how about if you're between the ages of, of 10 and 15? Can you give me another one that hasn't been said yet? Do not murder. Honor your father and mother. Do not commit adultery. Great. If you're between the ages of 16 and 30, we've had six so far. Can you tell me any more that haven't been said? Do not covet. Have no other gods before me. Keep the Sabbath holy. Okay, if you're age 31 and up, what's the last one? That was already said. Uh, he said, do not covet. Huh. How about, uh, what shall we make to worship? You shall make no graven images. Okay, great. So the old folks fail the test, but everybody else <laughs> passes. <laughs> now, some communities are still fighting to keep these rules on display in public school classrooms. Uh, I mean, this, this is a famous passage. There are many in our culture who preserve a loose affiliation with cultural Christianity who think of these ten rules, or at least a few of the ones near the end, as marking the difference between the good guys and the bad guys in society. You know, just start asking people if they think God is favorable toward them and why. And it won't take long to find someone who says they don't steal, they haven't committed murder or adultery, and they try not to tell a lie, unless it's a harmless one, of course. In addition, if you would like to start a violent food fight in the fellowship hall after the service, just hand out a few jelly donuts and then start asking people whether we should still keep holy one entire day every week where we don't do any work. Different Christian thinkers have drawn different conclusions on that point, and all can support their views from the scripture. But regardless, this is a famous passage. These Ten Commandments are often like the rag doll you find in your parents' attic that you remember. 
you have tremendous fondness for it when you stumble across it later in life because it makes you feel like you really belong somewhere and you remember when this thing brought you much comfort and joy as a child, but but it's been handled and rehandled for so long that you can barely remember what color its buttons were before they popped off. The Ten Commandments are like that. As we examine them this morning, I want to start by taking note of a few things, two things in particular, in this introduction. These commandments have a context and they have a purpose. And we must understand these things to understand the Ten Commandments. First, we must understand the context of the Ten Commandments. In verse 2 of chapter 20, the first words out of the Lord's mouth are, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here is the context. We've had 19 chapters showing us that the Lord has already rescued these people. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery. These people have been through a lot. All because the Lord their God loved them and swore to keep his promises to their ancestors. The implication is this. Any use of the Ten Commandments to try to gain God's favor is a misuse of the Ten Commandments. These commandments do not show you how to win God's favor. These commandments are for those people who already have God's favor. Those who have already been brought out, they've already been rescued, they're already in relationship with God. That's the context of the Ten Commandments. Now let's also take note of the purpose of these Ten Commandments. At the end of our passage, in verse 20, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Here's the purpose of these Ten Commandments. God wants his people to fear him so that they may not sin. The implication for us as we read these commandments is this. Any disregard of these commandments as being unchristian or ungracious or even outdated is misguided. That is not how we are to read these commandments, as being unchristian, ungracious, or even outdated. These commandments do not keep you from God's grace. Now, how we use them might keep us from God's grace if we ignore the context that I already told you about. But the commandments themselves do not keep you from God's grace. These commandments minister God's grace to you very directly as they inspire you with a healthy fear of God and as they lead you away from sin. That's God's grace to you today. God has been gracious enough with us to let us know how to avoid sin. Is that something you'd like to do? Are you ready? Now that we've got the context and the purpose, we're ready to examine the Ten Commandments in detail, where we'll see on your outline ten words that demand perfection, and then we will see two responses to an open invitation.
Let me pray and ask for the Lord's help. Our Father in heaven, please help us as we study this, your word, this, one of the most famous passages in all the Bible, and for good reason. Lord, help us not to misuse this frequently misused passage. Help us to understand it. Help us to see you and your grace more clearly, that we might fear you, that we might not sin. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, ten words that demand perfection. Here they are in verses 1 through 17. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, we'll get the gist of these commandments if we notice two main things about them. First, that they look both up and across. And second, they don't stay outside but go inside. Let me explain these things. Letter A, they look both up and across. The first four commandments have to do with your relationship with God. Verses 3 through 11, look up. You're looking up toward God. And the last six commandments have to deal with your relationship with other people. Verses 12 through 17, look across at the other people. So, looking up, what do I mean here? In verse 3, the first commandment is about having no other gods. It's about worshiping Yahweh the Lord alone. This commandment is all about where your loyalty lies, first and foremost. Second, verse 4, don't make any visible images, verse 5, in order to bow down to them. This commandment is all about worshiping this jealous God in the way he wants to be worshipped, which is not through images of anything. He wants to be worshipped we learn through the scripture, through his word. That's how we know him and the person of Jesus Christ. 
In verse 7, the third commandment is don't take the Lord's name in vain. And let me explain this one a little bit more because contrary to what you may have been led to believe, this commandment has almost nothing to do with bad language or obscenities. Almost nothing. It has everything to do with taking God seriously and giving full weight to what God says about himself. Giving full weight to what God says about himself. Let me explain this a little further. Earlier in Exodus, chapter 3, verse 13, one of Moses' first objections to this whole enterprise of, of rescuing the people, one of his first objections was, God, if they ask me for your name, what should I tell them? God communicated that his name was serious business. I am who I am. And then in chapter 9, verse 16, God told Pharaoh that he raised up Pharaoh and hardened his heart so that he could send all these plagues in order to have his name proclaimed in all the earth. God was all about what people thought about him. And it was about his name. In this chapter, chapter 20, later at the end, verse 24, God will speak of the place where he causes his name to be remembered. It's the place where he wants them to celebrate him and to know about him. In Exodus 23, verse 21, God places his name on the angel who will lead the people to the promised land. He says, I place my name on that angel. And God gives that as the reason why they must pay attention to that angel and follow his leadership. This is about what, what God wants them to think about him and how to follow him. And in, in chapter 34 of this book, God's greatest glory will appear when he reveals to Moses his full name on this mountain. When he says, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, forgiving iniquity, but he will by no means uh, forgive the, uh, the wicked. All along, all through this book of Exodus, God's name stands for what he reveals about himself and what he wants people to think of him. And so to ignore or rebel against what God reveals is to ignore or rebel against him. In other words, to take God's name in vain is to ignore or disregard God's message, messages and his messengers. To take his name in vain is to ignore or disregard his messages and his messengers. We take his name in vain, for example, when we have little affection for the Bible. Did you ever realize that? You don't have to use a cuss word to break this commandment. If you have little affection for the Bible, you have broken this commandment. Or whenever we fail to apply his word to our lives, we break this commandment. Or whenever we grow dull or bored with the message of his kingdom, we have broken this commandment. That's the third commandment. Moving on, verse, starting at verse 8, the fourth commandment about remembering the Sabbath to keep it holy. This, it's not just about refraining from your regular work, but also, verse 10, it's about caring for your son and your daughter. For the servants in your house, even your, your livestock and your house guests. This is about giving everybody a chance to rest. So these four commandments help us to look up. They explain whom we worship, how we worship him, 
how we treat the revelation of this God, how we know him. And fourth, what is the end goal of our worship, which is to rest from our works. Now, the book of Deuteronomy, a little later, and then later after that, the New Testament will summarize these four commandments with a single instruction. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and this is how these Ten Commandments look up. They direct us up to our walk with the Lord. To illustrate, when a new child joins our family, we've had a few of those in recent years, the very first thing the child has to learn is how to relate with Aaron and me. How to get our attention. Babies have a good way, of good mechanism for doing that. Where to find food. And then eventually, how to obey, etc. This is part of what it means to be a part of the family. Once you're in the family, you learn how to relate with mom and dad. You're looking up. Now, the remaining commandments cause us to look across. We look across the room to the rest of the redeemed community sitting here with us. Verse 12, the fifth commandment, has to do with giving due honor to those God has placed in authority over you. Verse 13 has to do with respecting and protecting life. Verse 14 tells us to live lives of purity and to protect the sacredness of marriage. Verse 15 tells, it commands us to respect the property of others. Verse 16 upholds truth as one of society's chief virtues. And then verse 17, you shall not covet. This prohibits all the envying, all the jockeying for position, the self-serving political maneuvering, and the poisonous comparison games that we play that tear us apart. Now the book of Leviticus, and after that the New Testament, summarizes these six commandments in a single instruction for us. So you can hold it all in your head, and it's simply this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the second commandment, and on these two, hang all the law and the prophets. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. But, but this one, love your neighbor as yourself, this is how these commandments look across the room. To illustrate, once children in our family learn how to look up and they understand how to relate to mom and dad, then they also need to learn not only how to have a good relationship with us, but also with each other. They learn to give and share. They learn to speak kindly. And they learn how to participate in family activities. This is what it means to be a part of the family. So even if you can't always remember all ten commandments, as I quizzed you at the beginning, just remember these two and you'll get the idea. Love God and love your neighbor. These commandments look up and they look across. They explain life in God's family. But also, letter B, they don't just stay outside, but they go inside. Let me show this. They don't stay outside, but go inside. That tenth commandment, don't covet or, or envy anything that belongs to your neighbor, that signals something critical for us. That commandment shows us very clearly that these commandments are concerned with not only how you behave, 
but they are also concerned with what you desire. The first commandment also signals this fact by requiring us to have no other gods but Yahweh God. We worship one God and him alone. This is all about allegiance. It's about passions, your passions and your desires. These commandments are about your values, your instincts, your emotions, and your thought lives. God wants everything. Not just an outward going through the motions, but also an inward delight in his salvation goodness. God wants a respect for and commitment to his people. Remember, he wants us to fear him because this fear will lead us not to sin. God does not want us to destroy ourselves and harm each other. He wants us to be the healthiest community on the planet where people, the people really care about each other and look out for one another. He wants it to go well for us. He wants us to find our joy in the only place we'll ever find real life, in him alone. So we can't just try to be nice people. We're not in good shape with these commandments if we merely avoid becoming axe murderers or serial adulterers. That's, that is a misuse of these commandments if we leave it to that. We are in good shape only when we become pure and special, different from everybody else, and complete as God wills for us to be. Only when God's good standards, standards cause us to look up and to look across and when they penetrate deeply all the way to the desires and the intentions of our hearts. Now, once during his ministry, Jesus came across a young man who wanted to find eternal life. And this young man asked Jesus what he had to do to get it. And Jesus reminded him of what we've already seen here in Exodus 20. Jesus said that when you do these things, when you love God with all your heart, when you love your neighbor just as much as you already love yourself, when you do these things, Jesus said, you will live. It will go well for you. And you will be a productive citizen of God's kingdom. Now, of course, of course, that's so much easier said than done. For that young man that Jesus said that to, it meant he had to sell every last possession and give that money away to the poor because only then would he love God more than he loved his money and obey the first commandment. And only then did he have a chance of following Jesus. But rather than embracing that opportunity, he went away sad, as will I fear some who hear me today. So by way of application of these commandments, let us move on to point number two. There are two responses to an open invitation. The final section of our passage highlights the two main responses people have when they understand what God expects of them in these commandments. When they hear the call to love God with all their heart and to love their neighbors as themselves, and when they realize they can't obey on the outside without seeing transformation on the inside, in their hearts and their wills and their desires, when they come face to face with these aspects of God's commands and they receive God's open invitation to intimacy with him, they tend to go in one of two ways. Let's look at it. Verses 18 through 21. 
Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. God has invited these people in. He's rescued them out of Egypt. He has brought them out of the house of slavery. He has made them his own special nation, his treasured possession. He's explained what it means to live like citizens of his kingdom, like servants in his house. And response number one that we see in this passage is to stand far off. Verse 18, the people are afraid and tremble. There's some healthiness to this. Moses said, God wants you to fear him. So far, so good. But then we see that they stand far off and send Moses. Moses, we don't want to hear from God. We feel like we are going to die. Now, I bet some of you here today might have a similar reaction. You, too, want to stand far off as you consider these commandments. Perhaps you understand these commands demand perfection. And you know you'll never live up to that. You can remember your past. You do your best to conceal your present You fear for the future because you know the sin you've committed and you expect it to continue. And so you stand far off. Perhaps you realize that these commands require all of you. Not just your attendance at church or your good behavior, but even your thoughts and desires and your motives. And you resent the intrusion into those things you hold close to your chest. And it's easier for you to accuse God of acting like an evil big brother than to consider letting go of your passions and desires. Perhaps some of you, you've you've been so hurt and mistreated in the past that you can't imagine loving people in this way when those very people have caused you so much harm. Whatever it is for you, fear, resentment, vengeance, or maybe even for some of you, just indifference. Who cares? You hear these words, you hear these commands, but you're not ready to let them take over your life. Now, I am so glad that you're here. And I would love to discuss these things further with you if you would like to, if you have any questions or objections. I would love to talk to you. Please consider whether it's really worth it to you to keep standing far off. Are you sure You want to choose death over life. Are you sure you can't trust this God to have your best interests in mind? Wouldn't it be so much better to let go of the poison and drink clear, clean spring water from the divine well that never runs dry? Response number one is to stand far off. But response number two that we see in this passage is to draw near to God. 
in verse 20, what, what Moses says to the people, this text now says to you, friends of Grace Fellowship Church, do not fear. God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And in verse 21, we're told that Moses drew near to the thick darkness. Why would he draw near to the thick darkness? It's dark. It's scary. It feels like you're going to die. You see what it says? It's because that's where God was. He drew near to the thick darkness where God was. You see, the best response to these commands that demand perfection is not to run away in fear, but to draw near in hope. Yes, it feels like you're going to die. Yes, it feels like you can't measure up. Yes, it is dark. It is confusing. It is terrifying. But you know what? That's where God is. That's where God is, and he wants you to draw near to him. This is what God wants for you so that it may go well with you. If God has already rescued you from your sin because of Jesus' death and resurrection, these ten commands, they don't describe what you need to do to make God happy. You remember the context? In, in our context, in the new covenant, Jesus has died to bring you into relationship with God. And these commands now describe what God is making you to be. Draw near to him. And he promises he will draw near to you. Now for those willing to draw near to God, there are at least three ways that you can very practically use these commands in real life. First, you can use them as a mirror. Use these commands as a mirror. Let the commands reflect to you all the ways that you are not perfect. Let the mirror do its work. Let these commands show you all the ways that you are not right on the inside. Don't resent that. Don't run away from that. Don't fear that. Let, Let the mirror shine in all its glory. Let it show you all the ways you do not love God and you do not love your neighbor. Because as you see those things clearly in the mirror of God's law, you are now ready to grab hold of Jesus every day. And these commands will lead you to Jesus if you let them. Some people try to harden themselves to that. I'm not going to see my imperfection. I don't want to see my failures. But that's the way to Jesus. You have to see it. Grab hold on Jesus and don't let go. Beg God, to accept you, not because of what you have done. Remember, you can't win God's favor with these commands. But beg God to accept you because of what Jesus has done for you. Use these commandments as a mirror and draw near. Second way you can use them is as a seatbelt. Use them as a mirror and you can use them as a seatbelt. Let those commandments strap you in nice and tight. We live in a fallen world where the automobiles of our lives constantly crash into each other. And when you crash, you don't want to fly out the windshield. Here's what I mean. The law, God's law, these commands, they provide restraint 
against sin. When we have conflict with other people or we suffer deeply or we disagree with others or we have any kind of relating with other sinners, we will always be tempted to sin, to do the wrong thing. Though we have been rescued by Jesus from the penalty of our sin and the power of sin has been broken in our lives, we still wrestle every day with the presence of sin in our lives. And these commands remind us and they protect us. They remind us of the fact that sin is everywhere, even in you, not just on the outside, but on the inside. And they protect us. They keep us buckled in. So when I'm tempted to lash out in anger against someone, when I remember, you shall not murder, and that God cares about the inside, and anger has everything to do with murder, the Holy Spirit just may help me to stay buckled in and keep my cool. So use these commands as a mirror. Use them as a seatbelt third. The third way you can use them is as a portrait. As a portrait. Let these commands paint a picture of the masterpiece that God wants you to become. You see, God is not done with you yet. What's done is done. Your past is past. But what's yet to come is more beautiful than you can imagine. And the Lord Jesus died and rose again from the grave so you could join him in his kingdom. And if you trust in him, these commands show you exactly what he intends you to become. So these commands remain something we aspire to, something we pursue with all our hearts. And in fact, the scriptures tell us we ought to fall in love with these commands because they show us the Lord and his glory. Ultimately, they're painting the portrait of Jesus. Jesus Jesus is the end of the law, Romans says. Jesus is the one that the law was all about. And they paint his portrait, and we are now being conformed to his image. So we can choose one of these two responses to these ten words that demand perfection. Some of you will remain far off, and I'm very sad about that. But I'd love to talk to see if I can try to persuade you to try something different. For those of you who want to draw near to God, who are ready for the mirror, for the seatbelt, for the portrait, we'll be back here next week in the same place at the same time. The next few chapters of Exodus give many case laws that will describe in great detail what it looks like to put these ten commands into practice in our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, You are the Lord, our God, who brought us out of the the land of slavery, out of the, the prison house of our sin. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for not leaving us on our own to figure out how to live as citizens in your kingdom. Thank you for rescuing us and loving us and giving us this grace so that we can see how to fear you that we might not sin. Help us, Lord, to honor you. Help us to look in the mirror of these commands that we might see, turn to Jesus and love what he has done for us. Help us to to use these commands as a seatbelt to keep us buckled in and to help restrain sin in ourselves and in our, our church and in society. And please help us to use these commands as a portrait that show us Jesus and make us more like him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.